going to go on for about four weeks, and it's called That's Not in the Bible. And what we're doing is we're looking at sayings that we have maybe heard in the past, and it's like, hey, that must be in the Bible. Like, you know, maybe mom and dad have, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, maybe, oh no, that's not good. Maybe mom and dad have like harshed it so much or whatever it is and you hear it and you're like, that must be in the Bible. And some of these are not in the Bible. And it kind of made me think of the Mandela effect. Anybody familiar with the Mandela effect? So it's named after the guy who it's named after, Nelson Mandela, because a lot of people thought that Nelson Mandela died in 1980, but in reality, Nelson Mandela didn't die until like the early 2010s, or maybe even more recent than that. But they were like, wait a minute, he died back in 1980. And it's just those things that kind of rock your world, where it's like, I could have like sworn that it was this, and then you realize that it's not. So we got a couple images. I googled the Mandela effect. And here's a couple images of what the Mandela effect might be. So the first one is, if we can get that up there, Cheez-Its. Everybody calls them Cheez-Its, plural. But in reality, it is Cheez-It. There's no Z on it. Now, some of you might be getting your whole world rocked like, I don't know if I can believe anything anymore. So Cheez-Its. I'm not a fan of Cheez-Its, so I don't care how they spell it. It's wrong altogether. Next up, the Flintstones. If I were to spell it, there would be no T in the middle, but it is actually the one on the right. All of these are the ones on the right. Such a good show. I enjoyed it growing up. But yeah, it's the Flint Stones. All right, go ahead next. Whole childhood ruin. Fruit Loops. They spell it with double O's because it's the cereal. Pretty good marketing scheme. Horrible grammar. So sorry to all the English teachers out there. So uh, again, don't boycott Fruit Loops for this. Double stuff, you would think they would put two F's for double, but there's just one. And by the way, that is the all-time greatest cookie in the world right there. Double stuff. Don't bring that thin stuff. Don't bring, like, single stuffed. No, go double or mega or don't bring any. Um, I'll still eat it probably. All right, next. Skechers. There's no T. Again, bad grammar. Go ahead, next one. And Looney Tunes. It's spelled with a U instead of double O. Again, such a great show. Kids these days, like, don't know what Looney Tunes is, and I am sorry because it was so good. And now, I'm not going to make that statement. So Looney Tunes, um, they're changing stuff, and I'm not a fan of it. Anyways, so that stuff where, like, you know, it's like, wait a minute. I was certain that it was spelled with two O's instead of, ha ha, my hero with a water. I have never needed a water on stage. Anyways, uh, so... The thing is, is that, you know, it's things that like you thought that's the way it is. And then it's like, that's really not. The Bible actually has a couple of these. For example, Philippians 2.10 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. But that's not actually what it says. That's what I always thought it said until I actually read it one day. And it actually says every knee should bow. That's the next one. We got it in red so you can see every knee should bow. And when I read that, I was like, what in the world? That has to be wrong. That's ESV version. And it says every knee should bow. And it was just like, I, it just kind of blew my mind. And so that is what this series is based on. Where it's like, we think, wait a minute, that has to be in the Bible. It has to be the reality. And in reality, it's not in the Bible. Because as Christians and just as humans, we take a whole lot of things as scripture. 
It's like, don't mess with this because it's biblical. And in reality, it's not biblical. And so the one we're looking at today is it's one that my grandma always told us. And this is not a knock on my grandma, but she was wrong in this statement. I love my grandma, but she was wrong because we'd be sitting there at the dining room table and it'd be like, grandma, can you get me a refill of water? And she would always say, God helps those who help themselves. And it's like, get up and help yourself. I'm not helping you. And I grew up thinking, well, God only helps those who helps themselves. So I have to constantly help myself. And it put this mindset in my head. And my grandma was trying to teach me, you know, do it yourself. You got, you're capable. But the statement that she made was wrong to where I was like, where is that in the Bible? And I could not find it. And so today what we're going to do is we're actually going to look at the opposite of this, at what reality says. Because even though it's not biblical, a lot of people and Christians are trying to live it out. It's like, well, we, we just talked about all like six, six weeks about the freedom that we have found in Galatians. And how there is nothing we can do, but yet what we want to do is, well, I'll strive hard enough. I'll try more. I'll keep doing this, and then God will help me. So God will save me if I'm able to help myself. And in reality, what we're doing is saving ourselves. We're trying to save ourselves. And the reality is that we never can. Because in honesty, whenever we try and help ourselves, it does not work out very well. Just think of the last time you tried doing something on your own and it worked out for you. Where it was like, hey, God, I don't need your help on this. I'm going to go against your word. I can do it on my own. My wife babysits little kids, like the oldest one is three, all the way down to a one-year-old now. And they're, the, the two older ones and even the one-year-old are getting to the point where they're getting independent. And so it's like, hey, let me help you. And they're like, I can do this myself. How often do we want to do that to God? God, I can handle this myself. I don't need you. Just butt out and I'll come ask you for help when I need it. We act like little kids. It's like a little kid trying to build something and they are like just making a mess of it. And it's like, here, let me help you. And they're like, I don't need your help. Not only do I not need your help, I don't want your help. But that's not how it should be. Because we do that to God. God butt out. Get out of my life, God. I'll come find you when I really need it because you'll help me when I'm able to help myself. I mean, just look at history. Just look at the history of the Bible and you'll see examples of people who are trying to help themselves. The very first books of the, or chapters of the Bible, right after God created everything in Genesis chapter three, Satan tempts Adam and Eve with the temptation that you can do this on your own. God's holding something back from you. Genesis 3, 4 through 5, it says, The serpent said to the woman, Oh, lost it. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God's trying to hold you down. He doesn't want you to grow and blossom and experience the joys of the life. He wants to suppress you and hold you down so you should eat the fruit because then you will be able to be like God. You will be able to handle it all on your own. Just kind of flip over a couple books of the Bible out of the Pentateuch and now we're into the book of Judges and you see repeated throughout the book of Judges the same problem which is first introduced in Judges 2, 11 through 12. 
It says the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and they served other Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. And so again, it's like, hey God, you brought us out of Egypt. You gave us this new land. You did all of this. We're done. Get out. We're going to go after these other gods. We're going to do what we want, not what you want, God. We're going to pursue our own desires. Now flip to today. You don't have to go very far to see where people are like, hey, I know God's word says this, but I'm going to do it myself. I can handle this on my own. I don't need God. Whenever we say we don't need God, even when we don't say it, when we think I don't need God, when God's word clearly says this and we're like, but I don't care, I'm going this way. What we are doing is we are saying, I'm God. I'm a God and God, actually, I'm higher than you. I'm above you. I know more than you. I, God, you might be the creator. I got this thing figured out. We're saying that we are gods. We claim that we can do it on our own. We claim that our way is better than God's, but it's not. God's word is what is right and true. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from its sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We are subject to the word of God. But instead, we want to say, God, that's outdated. God, that's dumb. God, that's just wrong. I'm not going to live by that. And every time we do, we say, God, you're not actually God, but I am. And so I'm going to call the shots and I'm going to do it according to my life. And we're going to see very soon uh, after Labor Day, we're going to look through starting in Genesis and we're going to see just how God is God. And therefore he is deserving of everything and he gets to call the shots and we are not God. And so again, I want to come back to this question though. When was the last time that you said, God, your word is wrong. I know what's right. So I'm going to follow my own desires and my own pursuits. And when was the last time you did that? And it actually worked out. Not instantly, because sometimes it's like, hey, God, you know what? I'm going to look at pornography and it's going to give me this adrenaline and this high. Yes, that seems right. Or I'm going to get drunk. And boy, yeah, I did forget all of my sorrows and all of my troubles. Or, you know, I'm going to sleep with her and that's going to make me feel better. And it's like instantly, yeah, success. And then a couple hours later, a couple days later, and it's like, where did my life go? And it's because you decided that God is not God anymore and that you know better and then reality hits. And sometimes we feel like we get away with it for a couple months, maybe even years, but it's going to get found out because the end of sin is always death. Anytime you go against God's word, it is death. It's going to be death of something. Sometimes all the time, it's physical death. But sometimes that comes down the road a long ways. And it's like, hey, hey, I'm winning right now. I'm not actually experiencing death. A lot of times death comes a whole lot quicker. It's the death of a relationship 
Well, I just slept with her one time, and then my girlfriend or my wife found out, and now my relationship is ruined. Well, I just drank a couple times, and then I drove, and I T-boned somebody, and now my life is ruined. Or I just took a hit a couple times, and now I'm addicted, and I keep going back to it, and I can't quit, and my life is ruined. I have no money. A lot of times, we experience death very quickly. Death is the result of sin. Just open up to Genesis chapter 5. And you're going to see right away the result of sin. It's going to be hit on so many times. Specifically, first time we see it is Genesis 5, 8. And it says, Thus all the days of Adam lived worth 930 years. And then those last two words, And he died. And then it says, And he fathered Seth. And he died. And Seth fathered this guy. And he died. And Seth fathered, or or this guy fathered, and it works its way down. And there's one exception in there, and that's Enoch. Otherwise, everybody else, it says, and he died. Because death comes as a result of sin. Paul told us that in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. He said, for the wages of sin is death. But again, the problem is, is that we can think we are God. And so therefore, we can get away from it. We can escape death. But death always wins. And a lot of times we experience death in multiple different ways. But the wages of sin is death. And so I believe that if Paul heard this statement, God helps those who help themselves, Paul would be like, hold on. Let's put a stop to that right now. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who can't help themselves. Because Paul knew what it was like to think that he could help himself. Philippians 3, verse 3 through 6, he says, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we don't put confidence in the flesh. Because if you want to try and help yourself, I know what it's like. I've experienced it. He says... Though I myself have no reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's like, hey, if you want to think you can help yourself, look at my track record. I win hands down all across the board, and yet I still lose. Because I cannot help myself. I was not able to help myself. Everything I tried, I dug a hole deeper and deeper and I could not get out. Because later on in like verse 7, he says, I consider it all loss. I consider it as garbage. I consider it as dung. It is worthless compared to knowing Jesus. And Paul says that even he came to preach and it was nothing about, his preaching was not about him. And it's like, boy, Paul, if I could have sat under your preaching, I bet I would have been wowed and oohed and awed. And you would have used like five syllable words. And I'd have been like, wow, he is so smart. He is so good. Boy, I can only try to be as good as him. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.17, he says, Christ did not baptize or send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And I did not use fancy words, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And so he's like, if I would have come and I would have said like really fancy words and I'd have done all this, it would have been like, wow, look at me, look at how good I am. But he said, instead, I want all the glory to go to Jesus. And so I'm not going to use fanciness. And so it's like, man, I can't achieve that. Actually, I can. 
Because he relied on Christ and we need to rely on Christ. Not relying on our own works, trying to get good enough or be good enough. Paul, even in, at the end of Romans chapter 7, this man who we sometimes are like, wow, he's on a whole nother playing field. I could never aspire to be like Paul. Paul actually says in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, he says, actually before that in verse 15 through 20, he says, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do, it is a tongue twister, people. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So Paul is like, I have tried doing it on my own. I have tried helping myself, and every time I do the very thing I don't want to do. And the very thing I want to do, I can't do it. Every time I keep trying, it's like I cannot do this. And so Paul then says in verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? And it's like, man, even Paul, who we put on this separate playing field, is like, no, 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 no. I am wretched. I am nothing. I cannot help myself. Like, who's going to save me? Because I've tried saving myself, and it doesn't work. I've tried being good enough, and I keep falling back into this. I've tried pursuing the law, and I keep breaking it. I've tried being zealous and I become zealous for something else. I cannot measure up no matter how hard I try. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Because I can't do it myself. And that's the response that we get every time we place confidence in ourselves. Every time we think I'm good enough, we should come back to, but I cannot save myself. Every time we think, oh, look at me. I have perfect attendance. It's like, but I fell short here. Every time pride sneaks into our life, we should be humbled very quickly. Because pride has no room in the Christian faith. Pride is the enemy of Christ because pride makes us want to be gods. Pride says, I'm good enough. Pride makes it about me. Whereas we're told in Philippians to humble ourselves. That we cannot walk with pride. So whenever we place confidence in ourselves, what we are doing is we are saying that cross was worthless. Jesus, you died for no reason. There was not, uh, you, you didn't have to go to the cross because I, I can handle this, Jesus. I am good enough. If we could somehow attain eternal life on our own merit, why would Jesus, why would Jesus have had to die on the cross? If there was any way for us to do it on our own, why did that have to happen? But it happened because there is zero percent chance that we can do it on our own. There is no way for us to help ourselves. Galatians 2.16, Paul says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, by saving yourself, by trying hard enough, by helping yourself, no one will be justified. So here's the funny thing about this saying, about God helps those who help themselves. Why would God have to help you? 
If you could help yourself, why would God have to help you? And I think a lot of it is we think too little of sin. I think we think the burden of sin is too little. And so it's almost like, say, you, I, say I was out there mowing my yard and you guys drove by and you're like, hey, I think I'll help Andy. So you hop out, get your weed eater and you weed eat my yard. And it's like, hey, we helped Andy. He could have done it himself, but I just gave him a little extra boost so it was a little more comfortable for him. And that's kind of how we think of sin, where it's like, ah, he's got that covered, but I'll just try and give him a little happier life with it all. And that is not what sin is. Sin is way bigger than that. Sin is massive. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So not only have we sinned, but we have fallen short. We have fallen extremely short. It's not just like, oh, I stumbled and now I've recovered and I can go. It is like, nope, you have fallen and you are still falling and falling and falling and you need somebody to help you. It's like, where's the ground? Why has it not come yet? Because you're still falling. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus gave a parable to demonstrate this. In Matthew chapter 18, It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And it's like 10,000 talents. That doesn't seem like a lot of money. Let me show you what our national debt is. There's a, a website that says national debt clock. So all the way, I don't know if you can see it, all the way in the upper left-hand corner, it says 26. Um, I don't even know what that number is. I mean, <laughs> is it trillion? I think it's a bazillion by now. But uh, it says 26 trillion, 646 billion, 801 million, and I can't even count how fast we are racking up the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that debt is what our sin is to God. Try paying that debt off. Even if you're Bill Gates, give it a couple minutes and you're bankrupt. You cannot pay that debt off. I mean, it is still counting. Like... I've worked a year, a year, a year, and I still can't pay it off. I mean, it is like lifetimes upon lifetimes upon, like just for example, a trillion seconds ago is back when like pre-BC time or uh, pre-AD times. It's like pre-Jesus is a trillion seconds ago. And our debt to Jesus is that big. That is what it means when we sin. It's not like I fell, but God, I can make it up to you. It's like national debt, clock is ticking. You will never be able to help yourself. And when we think of it like this and we think, hey, I'll just rely on my own abilities. The reality is we can't. Never. You will never be able to pay Jesus back. You will never on your own be able to save yourself or help yourself. I will never be able to. Billy Graham will never be able to. Apostle Paul was never able to. No man will ever be able to do it. God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who are totally helpless. He helps those who will never be able to help themselves. Pride makes us think we don't need Jesus. And so that's why it requires humility to come to Christ. Because it's like, no, I don't need Jesus. I can do this on my own. No, you can't. 
We need to humble ourselves and realize, just as Paul did, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I love Romans 5, 6 through 8. It says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we still owed so much debt, he died for us. Paul realized this. Paul knew there's nothing I can do to pay God back. And so instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to receive the payment that he gave me. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, Paul says, I know what it is to be weak. He says that he asked three times for the thorns are removed, and he got this response. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Not in strength, but in weakness, in realizing how weak we truly are. Therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, that is when I am truly strong. There's another saying that a whole lot of people say. I don't know that anybody really thinks this one's biblical, but they say Christianity is a crutch. Jesus is a crutch. And, I mean, I would probably say you are absolutely right. Because I am broken. I wouldn't say it's a crutch. I'd almost go, it is a wheelchair because I am totally paralyzed on my own. I mean, I cannot move. I cannot breathe. I, if I tried on my own, I would just be like, wow. Things would be falling apart. Jesus is what we should totally rely on. None of my own power. None of my own will. Totally in Jesus. And so when Paul said, who's going to save me from this body of death? He says in verse 25 of chapter 7, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus saved me. God helps them who help themselves. No, God helps those who can never help themselves, which is everyone. And so Jesus became the very thing that we were so that we might become the very thing he is. Think about that. Jesus came what we were so that we could become what he is. Jesus, a righteous and holy God, became a curse for us so that we, a cursed and broken people, could become a righteous and holy people. We're told you are a holy priesthood, a royal nation. We get a new identity because of what Jesus became for us. Galatians 3.13 tells us this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And so God helped us while we were not even realizing that we needed help. God still said, I'm going to help them. While we were still giving God the bird, flipping him the finger, he said, yep, I'm still going to come help them. And I know that seems very vulgar, but that's what our sin really is. It's like, God, don't need you. God, forget you. God, I don't want you. And he said, but I'm still sending my son to die for you. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But he says, the free gift of God is eternal life. And that is found in Jesus. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so when Jesus gave his life, he also gave the opportunity for us to rely on him completely. And he would help us throughout the way. 
And so that's why here at the end, we're going to close with communion. And so you have, hopefully, your juice and your bread. And if you don't, they're located at the back. But we're going to close with this because this is the reminder. When we come before the table, when we come before the cross and remember the sacrifice that was made, it is a reminder we could not do it on our own. So this week you might have been like, I was good enough. This cross is a reminder. No, we're not. But God accepts us and receives us as long as we accept and receive his son. Because it's, it's not a reminder that we couldn't do anything. It's also a reminder that Jesus did everything. He paid it all. Every hour as we sang, Lord, I need you every hour. And I'm going to cling to the old rugged cross. I'm going to hold not onto what I've done, not onto my achievements. I'm going to hold on to the sacrifice that you made. So this week, you're going to think, I can do this on my own. Or God, are you really God? God, is this really what's best? And we need to remind ourselves, he's God and we're not. We can't help ourselves, but he did what was possible for us. Romans 5, 6 through 8, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so I want you to just take the bread, hold it in the cup, pull it out, hold it, and just look at it and visualize this. The body of Jesus. He became a curse for us. 2 Corinthians 5 says, He who knew no sin took the punishment of sin for us. This body, this, we don't even see the representation of it here. So often we're like, I don't like that piece of bread. I don't like that cracker, that wafer, whatever it is. That's representing the sacrifice. I kind of wish we had the worst tasting bread in the world. Because every time it would be like, this is not about me feeling great. This is about the price that Jesus paid. Because that piece of bread represents the body that Jesus gave. Beaten, whipped, beyond all recognition as human, and he did that for you. So take that bread and remember his body that he broke for you. And then take the juice. And again, sometimes we're like, I don't like grape juice. It represents the blood that Jesus shed. We're told that when the, the soldier pierced Jesus in the side, water came out. Because he shed every ounce of blood for you. He shed it because through that blood, we can be set free. We can have relationship with God. Not through our works, but through what Jesus did. So look at that juice and just think of the sacrifice that Christ made. And dwell on that. That he shed every drop of blood for you. While you were still weak. While you were still sinning, he gave this blood. Not waiting for you to measure up, saying, I'm going to do it now, before they can pay me back. Because in reality, we never can. Think of that as you take the juice. So I'm going to close in prayer and then uh, we're just going to have a little moment where you can just reflect. I want, they're going to play some instrumental and I just want you to really think about what Christ did for us. And take this time to repent of sin that you've been living where it's like, God, I've actually been claiming that I'm God because I've been going against what your word says. And I repent of that. God, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to submit to your will.
Take that time to thank him. Jesus, thank you just for the sacrifice that you made because I can't pay you back. And God, I've been striving on my own and it's not working. And God, I need you every hour to come into my life and help me. So I'm just going to pray. They're going to play a little musical instrument and just take that time to really reflect on what Christ did for you. Father God, we thank you so much for the price that you paid. God, we, we never can pay you back. But God, we get in the habit of trying. We get in the habit of thinking that we're good enough or that we're actually, we know more than you, God. And so God, I, I pray that you humble us. As we just took the remembrance of the sacrifice that you made, God, may that, may that just dwell in our hearts. And God, may we become so grateful that as you tell us, God, we just offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. God, let our lives be a daily act of worship to you. Not, not trying to pay you back, but God, that we realize you have paved the way for us. And so we get to freely live in accordance with your word. So God, whatever it is that you are speaking to each person individually, God, we trust that you are speaking. But give us the courage to, to follow wherever it is that you are leading. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen.